What's going on, people? Welcome to the show, my friends. Welcome to Never Stop Learning. Thank you for being here today. I'm Wes, <clears throat> the gorgeous man you see on that podcast cover before your eyes. Welcome. Today's episode was so fun to record. It's with my friend Minto. She is in college studying, I think, neuroscience, meditation, being on the radio. She's out, did I say this, out on the East Coast. We met on TikTok. As you'll hear in this conversation, I totally spaced to give her her little intro when we started chatting. Um, but we get into it after like 30 minutes. But we just couldn't help ourselves but just dive into the deepness right away. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this one. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is the way, and, and Minto and I talk about this a bit, kind of talking about the process and the feelings around kind of like having a video that goes viral on TikTok and you know the way that I've developed a super small following of people there and I've been thinking a lot about the way that our like our moments our lives are now constantly framed and adjacent to this framework of if you don't post it it didn't happen right I think I read somebody use I think it was serpent fire on Instagram actually who talked about mining our personal lives for public consumption and how that can seep into our own experience of our thoughts by ourselves and you know I have felt this personally where I think something do something you know sit down to write something down whatever and I think oh man I I need to make a TikTok about this or oh I should have an episode on the podcast about this or crap I should have taken pictures or I don't take enough videos of my life I want to post more And I think we can look back to our childhoods even and see the way that, you know, our our families, our ancestors, or I guess you could say our elder generations, are in a similar way covering their homes with photo albums and plastering Maybe not plastering these memories on the wall necessarily, but like putting them into the consumable, uh, you know, book or, or technology or whatever. And so I think it's very easy for me to think that that's social media priming us for that. But I think social media isn't necessarily the primer, it's just kind of taking advantage of these systems that are already inside us. You know, part of the reason that I love this podcast, part of the reason that I love posting stuff is because I have an opportunity to like fossilize 
this moment in time. You know, like, even in this conversation with Minto, like, this was our first real conversation. And, and Minto is definitely a person who I look forward to continuing being friends with. And, you know, to whatever extent that may be, we are on the internet almost daily. And so the opportunities to connect are limitless. And yet, here I am able to go back to this moment to say, oh, remember that first podcast Minto and I did back in the day? You know? I don't know what I'm saying. But I think it's, there's a little nugget of something in here. But once again, I think you're primed to take in this glorious conversation full of depth and uh, insight and just shooting the shit. Thank you for listening. I'll stop rambling. Let's do it. Yo, we got a lot on our minds some days. That's all right. Yo, thank you, homie. Yo, who this crazy LA boy out here? Yo, craziness is in the places that I've been going, and I ain't keeping track of all the destinations where I'm flowing to. I'm just going to where I'm meant to go, and I ain't remember I don't keep itineraries, and I don't really keep very good memories. But I'm taking a few pictures, but mostly just vibes, freestyle vibes. I am alive. Nobody telling me how I can live. Live? I'm just trying to avoid lots of the old fibs that I was telling, cause I was just hiding my shame. Now I know that it's not a game. I know that I can expose myself and vulnerability is the way it's the way that i connect with all the homies out in this world and i know that i'm stepping towards lots of femininity and it's coming true and it feels good to me and i love to be this man and this guy and this person and i fly high every single moment i've been thinking about the places where i'm headed look destination's really dope because it's really nice to know a destination and a direction mostly like a compass direction because i don't really know where fuck i is headed but i know that i'm going with them good intentions I've been learning how to make a many million friends I know that life will never end Cause we just want consciousness My westness may disappear someday I will always be here I am the light behind these eyes I can learn to find all the different ways I can vibe with this light I can learn not to hide That's what Jesus said Is shut that light shine Cause these bushel baskets stay as covered with shame And cover it up And life is a game But sometimes I don't really know why We get so curled up inside life and then we can curl up in our bed in depressive states and just binge watch and just binge eat but I know it's hard cause I'm here with you and I do the same so we do what we do cause we coming true this life and I know we got ups and downs and even if you was really down like rock bottom that's okay if this middle bottom then there's no way you can go up but you could go down on another day so what you need to come to terms with is how you can get the recipe from shit that you didn't plan from shit that you never planned from shit that you don't really know 
where the fuck are we supposed to go? Nobody told me the answers. I got these questions and now we got Google, but I just need to learn to trust myself. I know that all the answers are out there, but they ain't be recipe for me. I know that I am so complete, but I need to remember me in those moments when I have old fucked up tendencies. That's like some old habits and some old patterns, but we change this shit and we healing shit and we growing shit. And I'm telling you, I'm in love with this life. Ooh wee! It's yeah. so good to hear your voice. We're doing it. We sure are. It's so good to hear your voice. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know why I'm nervous right now. I feel like your voice is so I so associate it with coming <laughs> on to um TikTok. Wow. It's just it's a little odd. I'm pretty much a TikTok celebrity, huh? Pretty much. What's is it um is it egotistical of me to ask what your cult follower count is? No, no. I think I have like 13.1k just more to get a sense of the scale you know um yeah not to interview you but i'm like i'm curious to know how your fan base has kind of grown because i remember i started following you about a year ago yeah i think yeah like september 22nd last year was when i left on my trip and yeah that was basically so basically what kicked it off on TikTok, and that is obviously how we met. Um, and I don't know if you would remember, like, mm. what type or what video you found my account. I was um, actually just thinking that. I was trying to remember what it was that actually came on my For You page. Yeah. It was when you were like on, it's when you were on like, when you were roaming, for sure. I think that it's like less a particular instance, because I feel like most people have a specific like interesting video that blows up. But for yeah. me, I think um, the first thing that came to mind was more the subjective sense that I remembered your videos being very like spiritual right off the bat and also very like vulnerable and very real. And I think that's a rare thing to see from men, especially. And it was just like interesting, you know, it really resonated with me at the time. Yeah, I think that's, that's really the, the energy that people were picking up on. And I mean, that got sent out to everyone's For You page, you know, it was like, it does. TikTok is such an interesting was, medium for that too. Exactly, dude. Like, and, you know, I basically downloaded TikTok during the beginning of the pandemic because I wanted to post, like, freestyle rap clips, basically. Mm -hmm. and, like, yeah, that's been another cool thing. This is so tangential, and I want to continue talking about what we were originally yeah, yeah. talking about. But um, I feel like the really cool thing is being able, is being able to – I don't tune into your, to your live streams super often, but I have – seen you get markedly better at freestyling, which is really cool. Wow. Because that seems like a, a difficult thing to really, can, like you, you, there's not a lot of ego in there. I feel like, you know, like you have to be there's very no, okay. Yeah, there's just no, like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a bold thing to do. And it's nice to see you can get better at it over time. So congrats. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. That's cool to hear that. But yeah, TikTok is such an interesting, um, place for the spiritual community like 
I think it's been, I think a lot of people woke up as a result of it. But there's also like such unhealthy ways to use it, you know? Yeah, dude. Like, I definitely feel like I ride, I like step over back and forth over the line of like using it as a tool to to become connected to others mm-hmm. you know who show up in that space to find something right i think that's what's so mm-hmm. interesting is because the things only... that make it from person to person are incredible like yeah and we're all like <laughs> I mean, it's like a perfect alignment of like the type of content and the ways you get connected with it and the time, you know, on the planet when we're all like, well, might as well go like find something enjoyable here. Yeah. And like starting to see that it's like how many people would never think that they're going to look for the content that they end up loving. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I think that inherently the way that TikTok works is just by showing you random things, right? And then seeing if you're responsive to them in some way. And so it's like an interesting way for your personality or your, for your consciousness to come out, right? Because it's not picking things and saying, I like this. I want to do this. This is the shirt that I'm going to buy, right? Because I'm in the store to buy a shirt Mm. versus just like responding to things. Um, I think are similar, but the latter has like much more of the subconscious in it, which is Mm. interesting because people end up being like, oh, look, I'm on this very specific side of TikTok. I find it so fascinating to me. Yeah, it's like, I kind of see it, you know, obviously, there's still so much like, I feel like everyone knows TikTok, obviously now. But I think so many people, even a lot of people my age, like in their late 20s, without having stepped a foot in it, or this Mm. fear that, oh, well, I don't necessarily love the relationship I have with my other social medias why do I need to add this addictive thing Mm -hmm. that's gonna like mean I'm gonna be on my phone more remind me how old you are I'm 28 okay you yeah it's I am 21 I turned 21 this year cool cool it's been a very fun year um but it's you're right though I do I was just thinking when you started saying that like that there's so there's so much to talk about in here but that a lot of people, like, I think everybody has, like, this very tenuous push-pull, like, kind of love-hate relationship with social media. And I do think this is actually something that we, um, that neuroscience majors discuss a good amount. It's not, like, a cornerstone of our discussion, but it comes up pretty often, especially in my more, like, psychology classes about the way that we interact with um with social media and it just feels like this like most people have a really complex psychological relationship with it and there's a lot of people who are super quick it's even especially from the neuroscience camp because there is a lot of neuroscience on what blue light does to your brain development that are mm. there's a lot of people in the camp of saying that it's bad or more like subjectively psychologically that with you know comparison and access to information that it's harmful to your mental health but i do also think that 
there is a component of of intention there right of really yeah examining and observing how you're using it because i've truly i've experienced this firsthand with tiktok especially because it has such a powerful algorithm right that you can mm -hmm. use it to really get to an unhealthy or a healthy place like i think it's much more about the intention because the internet just reflects like human nature in a lot of ways like you're always going to be able to find things that aren't virtuous there <laughs> right yeah i mean it's like yeah it's like interesting to see all the different ways that like that I think the culture goes about trying to demonize kind of the non-mainstream stuff and that it always kind of ends up mm -hmm. ends up like kind of being about like we need to eliminate this platform or it's like it's this constant like there's a new moral panic. There's a new unchecked way for like stuff to be disseminated across the masses. Yeah. Like that's the threatening thing is it's just it's powerful, you know? And it's like individuals now have the ability to step into a place where I mean, it's interesting to like, to think about TikTok and it is unique mm -hmm. in that like different, like we all of a sudden can feel like, oh, like people are listening. And then mm -hmm. that, I think sometimes it's like. Dude, I'm well... doing that right now. <laughs> I'm like a little nervous about this interview, right? Because I'm aware that, because again, using this incredibly powerful tool to record this and disseminate it, I'm aware that people are, are watching me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, I think the, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, it's just like, it em enables us to like have s such a place to put our identity that's outside of ourselves and is responsive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Please continue. Cause I, I, I think your thoughts on it are so interesting, especially as somebody um, I interviewed a TikTok creator a couple months ago who made music um, on my radio show, but come on. But um, he was just, it's interesting to me to hear about like the version of that where you have a significant amount of people that are tuning into you and following you, right? Like I think that's another aspect of being like involved and having, like putting something out on the internet, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely sh like shaped my uh what am I trying to say? Like like it's made me feel kind of like this almost magnetic pull to view my ideas or the shit I choose to say as now like needing to be more serious or like like okay people are gonna listen to this maybe I should like mm -hmm. double check what I'm saying which obviously I think you know is good but I think like a big thing for me I think that's also just good form to be you know more more literally careful about the messages that you put out just because well, yeah. you don't like yeah I think that there is like but liability there yeah I like watched 
like myself see the follower count grow and start to feel watched yourself see like I oh that's such an interesting (laughs) distinction right yeah I watched myself see the follower count grow Mm -hmm. and start to feel like I like have like see myself as like more knowledgeable about the stuff Mm -hmm. I like to talk about because it's like I think I felt that I needed to like live up to the reputation of someone who has Mm -hmm. you know thousands of followers in a way and I've like really with the podcast with like doing tarot like all of that stuff has Mm -hmm. helped me be like all but that's a very Tara's very intimate too like it's exactly dude and I think I went through like oh my god you know there's been people who have come on a a tarot stream and been like this Mm -hmm. guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about like which is isn't very common but Mm -hmm. that like a simple comment like that from a stranger would like really make me feel like oh no they're right Mm. i i don't really know what i'm doing crap like this feeling of i've been found out as just like a normal guy and and i think Mm. like like part of why people were drawn to me part of what i've been expressing is my fucking viewpoint as just feeling like i'm a normal guy and being like i think you know, let's well, just say... another interesting, like, the internet makes us forget forget that the people that we see are, like, just, like, that's literally some dude, you know? Yeah, and I, I think to, <laughs> yeah. keep, to keep with this tarot, to keep with this tarot example, I, I've seen, mm-hmm. like, going through and seeing live streams of, like, you know, seemingly, like w- like, more professional witches who have, like, all of like the the trappings of a spiritual uh you know embodied intuitive or whatever yeah you know like all that stuff which still is seems like it's kind of out of my wheelhouse yeah but my main also like you're young as well yeah you know i will also say that you know the um that i don't i don't know are you um religious or spiritual any specific like domain uh i'm not religious um but that's a whole other conversation yeah yeah okay spiritual for sure yeah i knew that one um but i i don't know i will say i was talking to a peer of mine the other day or my meditation teacher actually he was he reminded us that um you know the buddha was also some dude right the whole point Mm -hmm. is that he chose to reincarnate as a human and he wasn't like when he was enlightened and wanted to bring this to other people, he wasn't out there like making shit levitate, you know, he was teaching and sharing what he knew and his perspective. And so I think one of the tenets of the Buddhist practice is to embody the teachings and embody the Dharma and what you do. Right. And so I think that's when people are embodying things that are, that are true for them and their perspective, like that's all that you're doing. That's all we can do. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, the final thought about it being, I totally cut you off before you were 
tying a bow on it. Um, yeah, no, just like almost like feeling this, uh, this pressure to like be, you know, what we've professed ourselves to be, right? That it's mm. like, that it's like. Wait, say, say that one more time. Um, <laughs> like the idea of like being mm-hmm. what we, what it is we've expressed on the mm-hmm. internet ourselves to be. Right. Like that, that has felt like I've gone through moments of, of like taking that too seriously. Like I, I've mm-hmm. had like months where I, I like didn't touch TikTok live or tarot yeah. and gone through these ups and downs. And a lot of it has to do with me continuing to forget that this is my main point that, that all this has mm-hmm. been about is that like, I'm just simply like sharing my experience of just being observing the stuff mm-hmm. around me and like that it's like the videos that have blown up have like helped me see that like basically my whole life has been this undercurrent of mm-hmm. me not knowing that I was just simply learning to be an articulator of my experience Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that articulation of the stuff we all go through, but often mm-hmm. have t- have trouble finding the words to point to it, that I can just be like, I'm pointing to my shit, and other people are like, right, we we that's an arrow pointing at something that I love to see that I never, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to make that verbal arrow in my own head. Without mm-hmm. me, or I never well, knew that, that I, I feel wanted like the to emotional, like, The emotional arrow is just like it resonating with you, right? And so many people yeah, just yeah. like have different ways of expressing what resonates to them. And I think it's just like, you and I both know that the best things that, um, that are put out there are really genuine. I think that's like the whole reason why there's such like a strong connection over like, for lack of a better term, like spiritual talk. <laughs> But um, I also, I also don't think that like, I also do think with social media and like news and being informed about things in particular, like, especially informed of other people's opinion of us. Like, I truly do not think that human brains like have the capacity to really be able to healthily, like constructively process feedback and, you know, information about crises and information about suffering like on the level that we do with the way that we consume news and the way that we relate to other people like our ability to connect with and to know other people's opinions of us has gone up so exponentially Mm -hmm. in the past 20 years like in my own lifetime yeah i think like go ahead oh no go ahead go ahead (laughs) no 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 you go Oh, I, oh, no, I can't remember what I was saying. Okay, but something that you said uh, mm. had me thinking There's of like how There's so that, many little threads here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of how that connects to, I just immediately thought of the way that, the way that we relate to others 
is such a crucial aspect of even just understanding ourselves. Like, oh yeah, because it's, so much it's a mirror. There's only exactly. so much you can do alone. Yeah. Yeah, I actually was just talking to somebody about this this morning. I um, I was single for like a little over a year, and you know, was very like sure about staying single. It was good for me at the time, and I got so much growth out of it. And I stayed single like on purpose when I started dating again. And I recently yeah. started an official relationship after moving back to Boston for um, for school. And um, the interesting thing that I've been thinking about a lot and talking to my therapist about is that there's a lot of growth that happens both in and out of relationships. And mm-hmm. a, some of the things that I've struggled with have been in relationships, you know, as many of us do, but she said something along the lines of like, if it hurts in a relationship, it heals in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that we realize about ourselves, especially with like projection and our ego are realized in the context that is like referential to other people. Like we mm-hmm. can't do it alone. So I think that, I think that's so true. Like that really, I agree. (laughs) Yeah, dude, just, just a while back, my partner Lane was talking about, I forget exactly how she put it, but it was like, it was basically like this huge aha moment for me where she was talking about how like the points of relation, like the the individual like two way mm-hmm. channels that we have with all of the people in our lives, our parents, our mm-hmm. families, our loved ones, our friends, like that, like zooming in on what of those points of relation, where mm-hmm. is the friction? Where is the tension? Mm-hmm. And that like diving into those and I never even really thought about the points of relation. Mm-hmm. Like that's like, even that idea has me. Yeah. Cause we like are little like nodes. We have our little yes. networks. Yeah. Yeah. We're and inter, that... we're an interdependent. Yeah. Of course. Totally. That's so cool though. It's so cool. That it, cause, so I'm a neuroscience major. And so awesome. that's like extra cool for me to think about. Cause I mean, I've been thinking about networks a lot lately. Yeah. Oh, you know what I thought earlier though? When you said that you watched yourself see something, do you ever hear somebody say a phrase and just think like, obviously I know this about you already, but do you ever hear somebody say something like that and just think like, oh yeah, like this person meditates, like this person sits, (laughs) you know? And I think that kind of, I do think it relates, right? Because a lot of, again, a lot of our suffering in relationships is when we have that tension, but we don't have the the mindfulness to recognize it for what it is. Yeah. Like we can, and that's, what's interesting is we can look at that tension and almost perceive it as like, this tension is between me and them, but really Mm -hmm. the tension is just at the point of relation. That's so interesting It's a, it's a convenient, it's a, something i'll take it a step further even and say like yeah it's not even the problem itself it's just the the string that's attaching you to another person right mm-hmm. like that's just the medium through which the tension arises like so Whoa. many things that are unhealed that cause problems for relationships oh, right are God. things that we either internalize or externalize and a lot of and again we can take it even a step further by saying that when that tension arises we can be ignorant to it um mindful of it of course hopefully or be ignorant to it ignorant of it and 
take a look at all of the emotions and how upset we are and how awful it is to feel this tension and the fact that the tension's there in the first place. And if we're not mindful of our role in it, then what we do is we turn to the other person and say, this is all your fault. Dude. There's like something small in us that is manifesting. And we look at the, the B process, like the final, the result of that. And we think that it must be the other person. Yeah, you know, I, for the longest time, and I'm really healing from this and, and still in the process of moving forward, but I looked, this was like a few years ago, when I was kind of recognizing that I hadn't been acting lovingly uh, in in this long-term relationship, mm-hmm. like throughout college. And I was just really mm-hmm. like, like full of shame and didn't want to admit it. Oh, and just, yeah. just wanted to run away. And my- It's difficult. My huge, ca- you, your ego cannot live in that, in the process of, of yeah. acknowledging things like that. Right, yeah. exactly. And so my, I mean, I imagine it was mostly my ego driving this storyline, but it was, okay, Wes, you are not ready for a relationship. I was oh just my like, God, stop. You, you have so much more to heal before you can ever so tie relatable. yourself to someone else. Because I was saying, I want to be the good guy and heal myself first before mm-hmm. I, I cause pain to anyone else. Like I, I was feel suddenly so aware badly. of all of these things that were wrong with me, quote unquote, that were wrong with me, that I feel like I need to be completely sure that I've fixed every single one of them before mm-hmm. I run the risk of hurting myself or another person again. Yeah, that is so unbelievably relatable. And so, dude, literally a fucking brain So when did blast. you, when were you able to observe that? Yeah, when did you, when were you, you know, cognizant of that? So... Real quick, brain blast from when you were talking about the string. The mm-hmm. string, the tension that exists. The tendril, yes, yeah. Oh, the like, tension, yes. The tension, like that can mm-hmm. be this visual thing of like, hey, my string between you and me is tight. Like this is, or it's. Yeah, what the fuck? Whatever. Why would you and, pull and in my string like that? Yeah, so, so out of like <laughs> exactly. this egoic self-preservation, I'm like, well, nobody mm-hmm. else gets to be attached to my string. I don't want that tension in my life. Mm-hmm. And I started to be like, hey, you know, and this was kind of the energy of me on the beginning Whoa, of my wait. road trip where uh-huh. I'm like, hey, I got yeah. no strings. And I think sometimes that can so be so no constructive. Tension. It can feel really good. Well, it can feel really good to cut through them, right? And cleanse. Like, that's why cutting your hair feels good. And it, I think it can be so constructive but you know what i just realized though that's literally the difference between i mean and it's i think it's much more complex than this but if we're going to subdivide people into anxiously attached and um and avoidant attached and avoidantly attached yeah i think the difference between those kind of two people is that if you know they're in their relationship and pulling on this string insecurely attached people or you know um codependent people in particular will loosen up their grip so that there's less tension. They say, oh, no, it's okay. Have some more of my string. And mm. avoiding people say, what the fuck? Why is there so much tension in the string? And they cut it. Yeah, dude. Like, dude, <laughs> I just realized that. I'm going to talk. i got to tell my therapist about that. She's going to love it. 
Yeah, dude, that is wow. that is really uh I don't know the word. It really resonates with me because I I basically come from the avoidant style and Lane, my me partner, well, yeah. is anxious attachment style. Oh, and so yeah. we are running into that so much. There's so much to learn from it for sure. Oh my god, I know. And that's exactly and again, the it heals thing. in relationships. And like, it's yes. hard because I, I similarly had that process of observing that I was purposely holding myself back from relationships. I, I do feel like secure in waiting um, just because I did, I was genuinely enjoying being single a lot, but there, I, I couldn't separate it entirely from that element of like, I need to like fix myself. And I think I was also aware at the time, like consciously that there's a lot of work that goes on in relationships and there's a lot of like mm-hmm. insecurity and, um, you know, it's, it's difficult again, like we were just talking about, it's difficult to confront those things for what they are in, in a healthy way, you know, instead of projecting it onto your partner. Yeah. And that's work. I was like, that was like, that's work that I am not like that. I'm not, that I don't feel ready for. Because if you're in a relationship and you're not ready to do it, then you know, why are you there? <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I truly had a lot of resistance. You know, I, Lane and I oh, met, on, a lot met on TikTok. <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah, I, I think it was, it took me a while to, to like, to loosen my grip on being like, I'm, I feel like my only more, like mostly like myself when I'm alone and like when there's no, mm-hmm. there's no like, there's no one relying on me or I, I'm not making promises to anyone. Well, I think, I think you'll relate to this as well. Like it, especially when you feel like you've lost your identity, like to relationships or to other things and mm-hmm. you like kind of cut ties or split or like did something really big with your life. Like, getting back to that essential part of yourself, like being with yourself is so freeing that I feel like I'm almost overprotective sometimes now of my individual identity. Yeah. 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 And that, that is so often moments like that is how we continue to highlight all of the different types of of strings that we are you know consciously tying together and then mm-hmm. and then i'm like oh fuck like that because well, it's like if you're making a knot you may as well like, make it a good one <laughs> yeah yeah well i think i thought i had about it earlier was that like you know in order to be able to have a full have a full sense of the tension and the string and to be able to really observe it for what it is right like I think mm-hmm. what we feel is like physical tension in our you know our hand or whatever it is but that being able to recognize the tension for what it is and more importantly recognize like where it comes from and you know have this larger kind of perspective on it that we've been discussing you have to be able to be observant and to be mindful and so this is why you know in talking about meditation more seriously, just aside from just like bringing people something that's going to be good for them in a refuge, like this is kind of a more serious level of why I think everybody should meditate 
you know, because you have to, there's this essential element that comes out of meditating, having a consistent meditation practice. That's this ability to observe the space between yourself and the, your thoughts and your feelings mm-hmm. and your responses to things. Cause I really think like that when you said that you watched yourself, see something like you got to be able to watch yourself, you know, yell at your partner or wow. go somebody, you know, <laughs> like you that's... have to, there's a key element of, we have to be mindful. That's why I think people should meditate. Yeah, dude, that's, that's cool that you picked up on that because I didn't even, when I said that really think about the way that meditation mm-hmm. has helped inform the type of awareness mm-hmm. that I can have of what's going on in my head on any regular mm-hmm. happening that's going on because and it's so it's so rewarding yeah. to realize things like that yeah because it's it's gradual cultivation my um my meditation teacher david mcturn said that um you study with I david mcturn i i did yeah we i love I him. About it but um wow. but he said essentially um if you want to know how enlightened somebody really is watch them off their mat off their meditation cushion because really it's about like being observant and mindful. Like we don't, again, another teacher, I love Sharon Salzberg. I don't know if you know her. Love she said, her. you know, um, we don't meditate to get better at meditating. We meditate so that we can be better in our lives, like have better mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Dude, that is literally those two people are like my inspiration, bro. Yeah. Oh my God. They're, yeah. They're kind of like, they're kind of mom and dad, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I also have you like, um have you read any of their of their works? I haven't. I have Sharon Salzberg's Loving Kindness book, but I haven't Ooh, read it. We should trade and grade. I am. Um, I have her copy of Yeah. Um Real Change Somewhere and it was a really good one, especially given the context of the past couple of years. So I just realized that we've gotten all the way to this conversation about talking about attachment styles and ego, but I never introduced myself. <laughs> So should we should we totally. do that or record it at the end? Oh, goodness! What a host I am! No, and that was me. I I just no, jumped no. right in. It was us. Um, I we mean, got to a pretty cool place, though. Oh my god, we just yeah, right into the it was pretty. <laughs> it was a pretty easy dive in. So, I mean. I honestly don't even know that if I that I knew your name was Sarah until this call. Yeah, that's a that's unsurprising. I uh, so I hi, my name is Sermita Sparks. I um so I go by Minto. Right on. Mainly because my um my two best friends from like high school just growing up were also named Sarah. My older brother also went by Minto in high school, so I was a little Minto for a while. Very, I love this is my favorite nickname I've ever had, honestly. But um, I don't know. I just it kind of stuck in. In high school and I liked it and I think uh, I think it sounds cooler honestly <laughs> totally so I go by Mento um and I what do I do I'm a student I'm finishing a degree in behavioral neuroscience about to take a gap year do some travel um and I am a on-air radio DJ and meditation teacher heck yeah and here I am <laughs> Well, I can hear your comfortability on the mic, my friend. Thank you. I was thinking about this earlier, actually. And 
it's a hundred percent true that I do have like a regular talking voice and a like what's the word I'm looking for? D- 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 DJ like voice. No, actually, no. <laughs> actually, and I found that it's it's translated well because I was like I kind of develop like a DJ voice, which honestly has served the meditation teacher voice very well, excellently. So and hopefully a uh, and hopefully a podcast voice as well. Be thinking about getting a mic. Do it, do it. But yeah. uh, no, thank you though. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite compliments to receive. You know, it's funny that it just reminds me because. So, my experience in college was not giving a fuck. I just wanted to be a stoner, but my mother was like, Wes you really should go into the communications department. I think radio and TV could really be good for you. And I was like, Mm. mom, that sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) And so she just gives me a lot of shit because she, she knew it. She knew me before I did. Yeah. Obviously not everybody is, um, I feel pretty privileged in this regard and not, and not everybody is to be like very close with their moms, but I think by and large, like mothers are always right about that stuff. It's like the same. And my therapist is definitely like, she has mom vibes for sure. But like both with both my therapists, my girl, Angie and my mom, they'll say something that I brush off immediately at the time. And then like three years later, I'm like, Oh my God, she was so right. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just funny because your parents observe you. And so they know my mom knows me better than myself in few, but very specific, like very potent ways. Yeah, dude, I just had like this, this rebelness that I was just like, never wanting to like, I don't know, let my mom know that she was right about me. I kind of had this like, mm-hmm. you don't understand me. I was just like, yeah, it was just a weird phase yeah. of my life. That obviously, so many people is go what it is. That, but... Like, yeah. No, I think so many people do go. Th- I think that's just part of like part of growing up. You know, as I think that's the exact time that I think most people experience this in like middle high school. And I think that's the exact, I was, again, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day about like middle schoolers and like, you know, how contentious the relationships can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And, oh my gosh, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, I've been, I've I've been done so good at keeping track of all the threads in this conversation so far. But um, can Mm. you jog my memory a little bit? uh there's just so much content in here man oh right that yes right that so the middle schoolers are still middle schoolers in that first yeah they're in that first like kind of very um you know how we were talking earlier about being responsive to versus like picking out things that you like like middle schoolers Mm -hmm. are literally at the very beginning of actually being able to like pick out their personality and that's why they're so like haphazardly assembled and I think that often comes along with with some resistance because as you form your own identity, like you're protective of it and 
you you want it to be yours so badly that like I mean that's it's at the cost of developing ego that we have personalities right yeah yeah and I think again back to relational points like mm-hmm. how much of what it is you're trying to create of your own identity it, when you're 12 is in is just intertwined and wrapped up in what you think everyone else thinks of you mm. mm-hmm. yeah you know where it's like you it's so hard especially like you said when that's kind of the first time you have like middle school freedom at school a little bit like yeah like you said you have for the first time some autonomy over how you you're have expressing places that yourself. you're at at some points that don't have adults where you can swear and get away with it. Right, right. That sure gave that sure gave me an ego in like seventh grade. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, oh no, like I feel like fifth or sixth grade. Like I hasn't everybody gone through a phase of overswearing? I for sure did. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for me it was I like Develop, started developing a closer relationship to swearing starting in high school <laughs> because it was it was when I started freestyling and so yeah. like swear yeah, words were like the automatic there is like a fondness in there yeah like I didn't have to think of him I could just throw him in to fill up a syllable when I was rapping you know so I mm. kind of developed this like fuck fluency that started to become like like this crutch where I, it started to become like a, uh, something that I had to consciously avoid because it was, it became so mm-hmm. common, so natural. And it is. Yeah. yeah. And we just like, we, we just use, and again, like, because we forget that, you know, our language is really so arbitrary. Like we use, I, I just use one, like we use filler words all the time. And it's just so much more obvious whenever there's swear words, because we're, you know, we've, being um being conditioned to for those to jump out of us that's why there's swear words dude the likes that i have heard myself say on this podcast oh oh it's the worst when you um i feel you because i used to edit my radio shows because i over um the pandemic i would record them and then air them yeah and oh my god i think that if if purgatory is real it's just listening to yourself interview somebody because every like or filler word is so obvious upon <laughs> upon examination. Yeah. <sighs> um, How long do you normally run your episodes for? Because I, wa- I want to ask you another question, but I, I do feel like it's kind of a, oh. of a diving board question. <laughs> um, so please, let's dive. Uh, I really don't have any expectation of time um when I do solo episodes they're usually like 20-30 minutes but I really Mm. have a fondness for like the depths that are accessible when we reach like hour and a half two hours not saying we have to do that but it's just like no I would be it just flows and so please let's dive yeah I got time amazing Okay, so I was kind of wondering, I, I literally, this is why I've been so good at um, 
keeping on top of the like threads in this conversation is I'm I, I tend to be very forgetful it's why I interrupt people is I forget the thought that I'm mm. having <laughs> if I don't write it down um so the only one we haven't circled back to is uh, I was wondering when we were talking about ego and being able to know the people observe you and it's interesting because um it's like such a common concept in psychology that we only develop what's called theory of mind when we're, I think about four or five years old. Um, I would need to double check that for sure. But um, in these classical stages of child development, we see a pretty specific age at which children are, I, sorry, I don't want to say specific, but at some point children develop the ability to recognize that other people are distinct entities from them that have distinct mm. senses, perceptions, um, objectives, feelings, um, access to information, right? This is another, this is um, a quality that we use to test animal <clears throat> intelligence. This is why we know, um, we know that like monkeys can do this. They know that other people can, um, uh, that other people have different perspectives than they knew basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, children aren't able to realize like if they're standing in front of you and you're trying to watch TV, they literally will not understand that they're in your way until they develop theory of mind. Mm -hmm. And so is when we start to like be aware that there are other people. And then there's this other layer of being aware that people have thoughts about their perceptions of us, which is so anxiety inducing. Sometimes I can definitely relate to, overthinking being perceived which again i just don't think we're like equipped to handle how much of that social media offers to us but mm -hmm. i was really curious to know as somebody who this is the real question <laughs> as somebody who um who meditates seems to be really mindful and aware um at least practices mindfulness right is um aware of like the ego and very open to talking about it obviously what was it like kind of watching, you know, again, watching yourself see your follower count go up or what was your experience of kind of observing those things and, you know, observing those kind of like ego traps or I just wanted to hear more about that experience from the perspective of somebody who's more, uh, more inclined to really examine what's going on in your mind state. Mm. So are you talking about like, with TikTok specifically? Yeah, let, let, let's say that. Because <clears throat> there's, there's been so many different like yeah, yeah. magnification levels in these conversations. Let's just say TikTok, that's what I'm most um, familiar with. So how is it that I... Because your connection with your followers also seems particularly emotional. I think a lot of like spiritual practitioners or just like spiritual people on TikTok are like that in the first place, but there's a I lot mean, there. I actually, just before this podcast, I was on live hanging out with a bunch of people doing tarot. Yeah, like your lives are so fun. Yeah, so I think I want to, what are you asking me? Yes, sorry, there's so <laughs> much context here. I'm asking, um, I guess, say more about the experience of seeing yourself um you know intake and process like 
a following of people and their responsiveness to you. Yeah, it definitely right off the bat. That, like, that's like an ego snack, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude. Ego just want to munch on that. Like, like <laughs> literally when a video goes big, it's like you get thousands of notifications. So that for one, which I don't have my like notifications on on TikTok, except for when I open mm. up the app, obviously, but it, it was just kind of like, I guess to talk about like the initial experience where I'm like, what people are watching mm. this? Like, yeah, you know, I was TikTok just, is so, seems so random in that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had this, I mean, let's see, what should I, where should I begin? I think, I know, I know. I'm, I'm willing to bet like, that there's a, uh, there's a lot here. It was. A little over a year ago, right? Like it was like kind of like summer. It was I know like I started under, following you in like was, August of last year, maybe. I think it was probably like October or November. Because that was <laughs> when I really started posting on my trip. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I remember you were visiting people on your trip really frequently when I was just moving to Austin in October. Yes. Yeah. That's so strange. Think, it's like literally a year later. <laughs> on like the East Coast. Um, mm-hmm. But it was... So what, yeah, what was your initial response like? I felt like, whoa. I think the, really the first thing that went through my head was like, I was obsessed with reading everyone's comments. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like, whoa, like, I got to start posting more. That's like that. the thing is that I've, I've thought about, I've had like exactly one and a half videos go viral. And like, I'm, I'm currently trying to think, I mean, this is another small tangent, but um, I'm currently trying to think of like how I might be able to use TikTok to, to teach or get a following for meditation lessons. And it's like, that's the overwhelming thing about it to me. Dude. is that you seem to have to post really consistently. And that, that's very so, so intimidating here's the thing. to me. So here's the thing. So I think it's like, like the regular posting is really, I think the, I don't know, the, the technique to like stay relevant to the two followers, I think. So mm. it's like, I don't necessarily think that that's something that you would have to do, but dude, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally remember. And I, I don't remember when this was maybe like December when you and I chatted on the phone for a bit. Yeah. And I think then later on, you were asking about this exact thing of like, how'd you get started on TikTok? Like, because I can just tell the way that you would connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I think like, so before I had any video. Me as in in me literally or like. You as in you literally do. Like you, okay. Yes. Um, 
Okay, that's hype. Because I think your voice <laughs> and your your way of speaking, especially, dude, I, I mean, so I'm also in this place where I oftentimes feel myself get pulled into this idea of, like, I want to go, like, somehow monetize my following. Mm-hmm. Or, like develop some type of an income off of this interesting yeah but i think well it also just sucks that like a lot of people don't even do that from like a i am greedy and i need money point of view it's like fuck like if i could make a living off of that i off of this i to- i sure yes. i sure shit want to do that and not work totally. at a desk you know like exactly it's not even monetized for a reason that anybody really truly likes <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that So have you, if you don't mind me asking, have you? So I have made money from doing tarot readings. Yes, I remember. Not a whole whole lot. Well, I feel like you're you're more like donations-based. You're very lax about it. Yeah, yeah. Lax isn't like chillax, yeah. Actually, interesting. Uh, A few days ago, two nights ago, I did a tarot stream where for the first time I like put up a whiteboard behind me with like my Venmo and shit. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. And then I like put like $12 readings on the whiteboard. Dude, yeah. And yeah, it was so like, smart. it was like that energy where all of a sudden yeah. I felt, I felt like, Oh my God, like no one's coming. And there were people and everyone, hands full of people were like, I would buy a reading, but I don't have any money right now. Like, love you. Mm. And I was just like sitting there feeling like before I got on, I was like, okay, here's what I do. Like, if I have any desire to, whilst sharing this this kind of spiritual space with someone, Mm -hmm. to be able to like, engage in this type of energetic exchange through through some dollars that that's like the ideal for for what doing a energetic exchange energetic exchange is a good way of putting it because i also had the thought that i i think i misspoke in saying that it's like that getting money for your practice isn't something that anybody likes because I do think that there is like there is something cool about it that it can be like a medium that feels good I think there there is virtue in there for sure like when I don't know it made me think about um I do know it made me think about that time that I played guitar in public for the first time so my I have a friend that used to own a plant shop and I was out there one day just like playing and she set out like one of those little terracotta pots and like people were coming by and putting money in there and I remember just being floored like so excited like over the moon Mm. because I realized oh my gosh like people people want to actually like in a tangible sense support me and it seems like it's hard to kind of build up a clientele base online when the whole reason why a lot of people are on TikTok is for that kind of like bite-sized therapy and as helpful it's great it's amazing but people you know are there for bite-sized therapy or spirituality and you know because we are we do center towards instant gratification. So if there's resistance here and not elsewhere, you know, why engage? It's it's a very strange, like, 
push pull of bringing people together, but also creating barriers that are a little more subversive. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I bring up the tarot money thing is because Mm -hmm. not a single person got a reading from me that two nights ago. That sucked. Dude, I thought it was going to be like a guitar story. I was so excited. I know, like, dude. And I was going to tell that story like right off the bat. Like, so what do you like, th- what do you think gives? Well, what I, I have mean, to what give, I, I guess. what I have to look at is like this was the first time where in my my preparation and approach to you know getting ready to mm-hmm. basically open up this space for people to come. Mm-hmm. commune with with the other folks like opening the spaces in like lately or just as a whole with like your with your live streams well it was the first time i'd opened the space without like with a different intention besides let me just like okay hang out and okay get some donations but mostly like connect and help offer mm-hmm. up like mm-hmm. dope like connected experiences, moments, like card mm-hmm. readings that actually are fucking vibes. And like, that is the energy. Yeah, like, they are. And doing a couple dude, of I've, readings, I've gotten a reading from you people once. People so flock. Fun. And it's like, that energy is so dope. And so it was like, this time I was like, I'm worried about my bills. I was like, I should go work, but maybe I'll do readings and I'll make. Yeah, but money honestly, though, I also don't. Um, I also don't think that you need to justify asking for money for it. You know, we also sometimes think, um, and it, I think that this is like kind of a pitfall for spiritual and religious people alike, is that um, we don't think of like money as virtuous. I don't, I don't think you have to justify asking for money. I feel like it's pretty fucking obvious. You know, like we still do live in a society. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know. Point being you know, no, no judgment about that, but it surprises me that people didn't kick in, like that it's that stark of a difference because normally your, your readings and your lives are like popping. I know, dude. So it was like me setting this additional type of pressure on myself mm-hmm. that I was oh, kind of so. almost saying like, okay, Wes, instead of like, going to work for DoorDash tonight to like make a hundred dollars. Let's try Mm -hmm. to make some money here and like get the whiteboard. Let's do $12 Uh readings. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I'm just, I think not about anyone else. Go ahead. No. Okay. I I was just going to say, it seems um, what I'm hearing is that it's, it's a very vulnerable thing. Yeah. And I think I, I I haven't often like put my, it was like, yeah. So it, it was like contrasted by hopping on live today and being like, okay, like mm-hmm. when I, it was almost just kind of like this first, and I'm very grateful this for this experience to just mm-hmm. see how in a real way, which is also very easy to avoid, but Uh I was just like approaching that particular stream with a mindset of lack. Mm. 
I was mm, showing up there is... in a state of mind of lack that I was saying, hey, mm -hmm. I need money from you, almost. So it was, it was less about, you know, asking. It was less or, about. Or it was less about asking on principle and more how it affected like your, your intention. And, and like, like it, it, it was, in. it was less huh. about the people there. It was about me. Huh. Even though I, I know that it's okay to ask for money and I certainly will. And I do, but it was just the difference in approach, which now I can see as like, wow, like this is a huge like lesson in my life that I'm currently in the thick mm -hmm. of. Well, do you think that there is a way to, to practice and in like a, in just as essential of a way while still profiting from it? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, it's, uh, it's just such an interesting thing for you to, uh, to uh, have observed. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm like grateful for that experience because I, you know, without really being able to tangibly point to anything, I can tell that it was just not the same type of welcoming, like, hello, what's up, like, vibe that is the natural state of my being. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind because of... that's what drew people in the first place is, like, that really vulnerable, like not in any way contrived way of being. Right. That's magnetizing. It is. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, tell me if you have any, any thoughts about the idea of, of how we can be tapped into a mindset of either abundance or lack is that something that you Ooh. find to be tangible or, or yeah, present in your question. life in any way? That's such a good question. I'm going to have to think about it. The first thing it does bring to mind for me, though, is this, um, this transhumanist author who came on to talk the Duncan Trussell family hour a while ago. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember his name for the life of me, but he was saying that um, a lot of he has this theory that a lot of what is truly really underlying a lot of our conflict and suffering as a human race, especially in the context of technology specifically and um, how much closer we are physically than we have um, ever been for the majority of, for the vast majority of our history of like existence. Mm -hmm. um, he believes that a lot that the real underlying causal factor there is that people are not people are in a scarcity mindset and not an abundance mindset and yeah. i think this is particularly true of um a lot of individualistic cultures is that mm. if we're in a scarcity mindset we think that people are going to take something from us or that um supporting mm -hmm. others is is threatening and there's actually some there's contention over this among like anthropologists and sociologists over whether or not we are naturally like a competitive like self-serving species or not there's evidence in either case but you know he's essentially just saying that being in the scarcity mindset and feeling threatened all the time and not this is the more important part i think and not feeling held and secure and mm -hmm. safe creates all these downstream effects in a very real way and that he thinks that a big piece of 
you know, growing <laughs> as a as a species is that we would do well to make people feel like they already have enough. And again, I think that this has huge implications with um, with policymaking. But you know, it's just like people people don't always feel like safe and held, and like there's a mutual understanding. So I think that's just a, a really interesting piece of perspective that I got in it the other. Day. I find, um, let me think about abundance. I think hmm, it's just such a big, big topic. Well, what I, what I, think I thought so. of I think... what, what you were just mentioning oh, no, no, go ahead. Think about go ahead. how it's like the culture is like you want to do better than your neighbor. Your neighbor mm -hmm. is not at all tied or related to how you're doing that is not mm -hmm. human yeah it's and also on the human. other side and the other side you know this person is getting something and i feel threatened by that so i'm going to go out of my way to sabotage it but i do think i think the first place that i land on myself with abundance is that those subjective qualities that um, that mindfulness really helps us get to like abundance and compassion and equanimity. They, I honestly think are more like, they're more easily cultivated than people may realize because they seem like these big, like nebulous feelings or ways to be. But um, I would say both that there are like specific compassion cultivation that meditation practices that I think can be really effective for it. But, you know, overall that I think a lot of having an abundance mindset. And again, I, I cannot say that I'm in one hundred percent of the time and I still catch myself being in a scarcity mindset, but um, that ultimately I think in my experience, this is what it is, is that in my experience, it's been much more about um, noting or kind of, creating or looking for, or just, you know, creating a little more space for the abundance that's already existent in my life. And mm -hmm. I think, again, this is another one of those things where another one of the really pure and beautiful ways in which mindfulness is the ground for so many of these things, because if we're more mindful, we can just take notice of those little things about existing. Yeah. Like, I think that, um, again, I think this is the last thing I'll say about it, but um, that it, it just, it takes time. It's a cultivation and, and a practice. And I think that um, if you want to cultivate more abundance or compassion or whatever it is, like, you have the power to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we have and a lot more I think, power. Again, especially with, oh, sorry. I, I just, I will say really quickly that especially with abundance, it's very easy to get into um, conversations about class. I mean, abundance purely in like a psychological, like attitude kind of way, because I do think that again, psychologically yeah. that like actual <clears throat> external hardships and like, um, like poverty can affect abundance in a much different way. I mean, this more in like the, the choices that we do have. Well, but I do think that that's a good point because, I mean, 
I agree with what you're saying, but I think there's even a deeper level, which is that like we're programmed as children, like, you know, kids mm -hmm. who grow up never experiencing the thought that money is limited. Oh my gosh. Will literally <laughs> yes. have a much easier time and will, mm -hmm. will not fall as low as someone who grew up well, poor, they, even if they're making the exact same conditions, mm -hmm. like that mindset yeah. and that childhood programming overrides the choices that they're making because it's like yeah. the abundance mindset can almost be a type of like flotation yeah. device attached to your uh -huh. ankle that's not going to let you fall down as far as someone who grew up with money yes, being it's a, it's something a... to be afraid of or something that was never enough. Mm -hmm. It's what we, it's what in clinical psychology is, you know, called a, um, a protective factor as opposed to a risk factor where like, mm -hmm. there's just those certain yeah. like qualities that make people, interestingly, the best kind of predictive factor behaviorally for coping with depression over time is in, isn't like happiness. It's, it's resilience. It's like psychological mm -hmm. resilience. I was just having a long conversation with um, my partner earlier this week about how, you know, like differences in class and wealth um, can very much impact people's literally literal ability. So I, I think it's interesting that you brought up the um, that kind of like subconscious conscious level of abundance, because I think like mindfulness and like making the choice to be in an abundance mindset is one thing, but it's another thing to have that programmed into you in a really unconscious way. And I'm about to, I, I'm so excited. I'm about to flex my, um, my neuroscience major muscles here. But it said, have you ever heard of the, um, I believe it was out of Stanford, a study that was done, I think, 20 years ago. I should look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. But basically that experiment where they sat children down and said, here's a marshmallow. You can either eat it now or have two marshmallows in, ten, um, in five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah, it's. I feel like yeah. So this is the study that's become like the biggest, one of the biggest pop science fallacies is that the conclusions made or the results from this study were that, um, you know, some children would eat the marshmallow immediately, others would wait. And this was kind of meant to infer their ability for like long-term thinking and delaying gratification. And so a follow-up, this is really where the junk science comes in. But yeah, there was a follow-up um, essentially that check back in on these kids, I think 20 or 30 years later. Again, I am no idea on the specifics here, but they checked in later and found that the children that had waited to eat the marshmallow like were more successful and had like higher incomes um, and just, you know, in our sense of better, commonly just turned <laughs> yeah. out better. But the really interesting thing about that study is that um, some people have debunked it retrospectively by looking at the fact that this group didn't factor in the economic or racial backgrounds of the children and upon like reanalysis there's actually a much stronger correlation between children that ate the marshmallow and children that had lower incomes or were living below the um the poverty line and, and this has a very real psychological effect in which if you grow up in a totally. place where there is literally scarcity modeled for you all the time you eat the marshmallow you're not thinking about like it's different you are literally programmed differently. And I will also say from a, from a neuroscience perspective, from a neuroplasticity 
perspective, that's at a hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my little non-scientific example is from this oh, story. Are welcome. <clears throat> but yeah, thank you. Um, but there's this comedian podcaster, Jessa Reed, and she spent yeah, like her she, 20s. Yeah, um, she came on Comes a Time a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago. Okay, right on. She has a nice voice. Yeah. Uh, she also has a dope podcast. Um, but she talks about how she was a, a meth addict for like her in her 20s. Yes. And that's why her interview her... stuck out. She spoke about it so eloquently. Yeah, and one of her big stories about it was like deep in the meth addict holes of abandoned houses and homeless stuff and druggies mm-hmm. and everything. And she was like, there were always those fellow meth heads who somehow always had a car, always had a bed at someone at some house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, because they grew up rich. My fellow meth heads yeah. who grew up in a rich family never didn't mm. have a car, never were homeless, even though they were just as meth head as me. They were just as broke well, as again, me. Again, that's the difference between equity and equality, right? Is yes. that it's not about adding the same amount of like cards to the stack, but recognizing like where, how high the stacks are starting. And obviously, you know, drugs affect everyone oh, that's differently, so obviously. But her right. being like, yo, yo, uh, we are in the same position. How the fuck do you have all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and she talks a lot about she grew up in like an extreme poverty mentality, like, mm-hmm. like you know, butter dishes as bowls for cereal and like, shut the door, you're letting all the heat out. Like every little mm-hmm. thing helped to shape her world where it was, it's hard to hold on to things when that's what you witnessed mm-hmm. and I think yeah her story we're, really we're, helped we're me so much a product of you know our, our childhood like that's that's just the truth <laughs> dude yeah man unpacking my childhood like realizing that my my that's like, the bread and butter of spiritual my talk, like yeah. <laughs> yeah my regular my regular old unexamined memories of what it was like to grow up in my home have completely shifted when I start to look at like, like the, the energy of the home, that there was just all of yeah. the stuff that, that we can't consciously acknowledge as children. But now I'm being like, mm-hmm. oh, back to the perspective you get when you when you get older Mm -hmm. yeah it really is (laughs) totally like oh my dad is the reason that i have an avoidant attachment style like holy crap he was was the most attached dude detached from anything like Mm -hmm. most avoidant like shut down you know i find myself in times of stress kind of putting on the mask of just like stoic silence uh-huh, and i'm like yeah. oh my god I, um... that is what my dad did every time there was tension every time there was an argument especially when he was the one in the wrong 
right? And then I'm all of a sudden seeing all of this in this new light. And then I'm able to cast my understanding of my father's energy mm-hmm. as a child to then onto to- my own actions and behavior in my relationship mm-hmm. six years ago, be- well before I was even aware of all the energy that I have been steeped in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And it's like this type of, of after the fact, reevaluating the reasons and I think and, and, it's, I'll add, it's also so true about the things you think about yourself, yeah. not just your oh, relationships, like your relationship yes. with yourself, the beliefs that you have. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. And that's like, that's been so hard for me to, I don't know, like come to terms with in a way. Mm-hmm. Or, it's hard. It's, it's the much harder thing to acknowledge that for what it is and especially to work through it. Because again, it's a very vulnerable, difficult, I was going to say earlier that, you know, coming to terms with the fact that you like hurt somebody that you love is so difficult. And that's why, you know, these cycles of behavior, whether that be abuse or a particular attachment style, like, that's why they perpetuate is because it's easier to be ignorant to them. Oh, yeah. And so like the perspective, like I think turning the perspective into learning about it is so valuable. Yeah, totally. And like, I mean, maybe not inherently, but I think like there's a lot of like uncomfortableness that exists there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, it doesn't just exist there. It's a condition. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a theme. Yeah. So and what I, do you think? Um, I'm, I'm always curious to know from men that in particular that are really in touch with those things. What do you think really helped you like bridge the gap? I mean, I think that for all of us, mm. just as we get older and we understand more things, we do get perspective, but particularly, you know, being tapped into that is difficult. Like, what do you think really helped you? Well, I think number one, I, I, uh, yeah, I basically, I mean, I can't help but attach it back to my childhood once again, that like Mm -hmm. my dad was very emotionless, like avoidant, kind of like to the point, always about like fix Mm -hmm. it, fix it type of mentality, never in the Mm -hmm. emotional realm, never like the Hey, bud. I bet that translated great to children. Well, exactly. And so because of that, you know, kind of not (laughs) unknowingly, I basically spent my entire childhood with my mom in a, a, a deeply emotional woman, like very in touch with her tears, very mm-hmm. loving, very, very kind it's with interesting words. how common that combination is isn't it i mean it's not yeah. surprising but i i didn't realize until recently how ubiquitous it is dude i didn't even realize that that was the dynamic in my childhood until like yeah same. within the like, past oh God, year wait, that's it <laughs> yeah yeah and exactly. so and so i think it i i think for me it's almost been basically like 
uncovering and, and finding all of the the memories and the moments from my father making those connections and making them into how I exist. Like, so what's the medium for that though? Like what, what do you, what is it that you're well doing when you make those connections? Again, for me, the first, the first big, like, like, what am I saying? The first big crash into awareness was Mm -hmm. this long tumultuous five year relationship where I was constantly running away. Five years? I was, oh, I geez. broke up with her like four different times, constantly mm-hmm. running away and then like coming I'm back. I'm always the breaker-upper, yeah. And being <laughs> like, I guess I, and it was always this, this thought of I need to be free outside mm-hmm. of this relationship. And then being single and being like, That's not the answer. I want the love back. Mm -hmm. And so basically throughout that relationship and then when it finally ended, doing more, you know, deep dive into what the fuck actually went down where I was just like, oh, that was my dad. That was my dad. That was my dad. That was my dad. Holy Mm -hmm. fuck. If I I could have stayed in that relationship and been my dad. And am I correct in having the um the sense that this is an this is still an ongoing process of realizing those things oh it forever will be Mm. yeah that's something i actually realized in a really similar situation um i ask because sometimes if it's like very specific it's something that you like have a period of and i was about to say you know like it takes a long time like way longer than i thought to really go through that whole process so i was like i can't even imagine for a five-year relationship yeah but uh yeah yeah, i heard it said that like you you turn into one parent and then you marry the other Mm. (sighs) yeah dude and i'm like and i'm like i'm afraid of both if I, if I'm kind of, yeah, that's the tough thing. (laughs) Well, I was saying to, um, to a friend earlier, we were talking about attachment styles that really like avoidant and insecurely attached people. It stems from the same feeling of that's like so wrapped up in our self-esteem, but it, it centers from the same, like, I'm anxious that people won't think that I am enough or that I'm worthy or that I have value. Mm. And the difference is that, you know, anxiously attached and I think more specifically codependent people will try to change themselves or make themselves uncomfortable so that their partner can be comfortable and accepting. Yes. And then avoiding people get stressed out by the expectation of it and split most importantly before, this is so subconscious and I've done this myself, but avoidant people will at least in my experience, subconsciously think that um, their partner will come to the same conclusion that they've already come to as an individual, that they're not enough and that they're going to leave. So it's like, I'm going to leave you before I'm hurt. 
Yeah. And it just manifests as I'm being suffocated. You know, I think for a lot of avoidance, it's like, I need to be my own person. I think it's like, really do you just feel like threatened, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, and for me, again, just like my dad in that old relationship, I was constantly thinking that exact thing you just said. And also Mm. with no, even awareness that I could try to communicate it to her. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I wasn't even able to, I, I wasn't even thinking of it consciously myself. I just, it was like, mm-hmm. like you said, it was, That's it was me really just tough thing. like looking mm-hmm. so like down on myself that that would feed into the story of, well, they already probably think the same thing. So yeah. I'll just fucking dip out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's totally. why I think it's like crucial to really pay attention to what narratives are going on in your consciousness for things like this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's like the, the toughest thing about behaviors like this is because they are so subconscious, like they're very difficult to, um, to really like clock as they're happening. Like I think when I have really, you know, after really like hurt, like splitting from relationship too early and really hurting somebody that I used to date, you know, I um, it took me like a good chunk of time to just get out of this place where I was telling myself that I was a bad person or that like I was the worst. You know, it took me like a while to step outside of that and then be able to really look at it for what it was and not say like, what's wrong with me? Like, I don't deserve X, Y, Z and ask, okay, well, like, if I didn't like that behavior, that's like disillusioning to me. Like, what, what am I going to do to fix it? You know, like you've got to, you can't, you have to step outside of the frame to really see the picture. And again, this is another reason why I think mindfulness is so important because you have to be able to observe it. Yeah. But it's like only then was I able to really start to, to work on it when I had like a curious nature about it. Because again, it's, it's really, really hard. Like they're so difficult to, um, to recognize in the moment. Yeah. I think a lot of my realizations about things like that, I think this gap is shortening through therapy, but it, it's taken me like a long time sometimes to really like recognize ways I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a, that was a large but, tangent. Uh, you know, <laughs> what? we, uh, we have time. We do. I do have time. I appreciate it. So what do you, what do you think? What do I think? Well, I would love if we perhaps could close with a guided meditation. Yes, definitely. Um, For sure. I have one, oh, one thing that I did want to bring up. Please. I thought that I had earlier about abundance mindsets is that something that is, I will say again, it's a practice, um, a lot like meditation actually, but um, it's like something that I found overwhelming about cultivating those like qualities. Again, I used to have this narrative telling myself, you know, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm not compassionate enough. Mm-hmm. And then 
I, you know, stepped outside of that and then ask, okay, so how do I become a more <laughs> compassionate person? Which is like, it's difficult. Like there's not really like a compassion for dummies, like <laughs> handbook. So I think <laughs> there are really specific practices. Sharon for it. Salzberg has one. <laughs> I, yes, she does. She has amazing like grounding and awareness practice. Um, yeah. Gratefulness exercises. And I think the funnest one that I've done so far that might look a little weird, but if you don't mind like getting questions about it, I have this. I have it right here, actually. I don't, I don't know if you can hear it, but I have this clicker. It's like the clicker that people at museums or games will use to count people. And yeah, it's yeah. just like, it's so satisfying. But um, I haven't done it in a while. I'm taking a break from it, but I carry it around and click it every time that I see something that makes me happy. And I think it's a great practice just wow. in terms of being grateful. And I do think that Again, I, I love bringing neuroscience perspectives to things like this. Um, your brain is so malleable in so many ways. And the best thing that you can do to increase the strength of any neural connection, whether that be like a behavior, a thought, an emotion, anything, the best thing you can do is just to like work that your brain is a muscle. Mm -hmm. Not literally, but, <laughs> but you know, you, you did, do have to anyway it's a great exercise to really strengthen the neural connections in your brain that are responsible for for recognition for mindfulness and um i think over time it's totally like increased my you know propensity to see the little things so if you don't know where to start let's start with that wow that's really good it reminds me of something similar where <clears throat> Someone was saying that the act of sitting down before bed every night and writing down all the mm -hmm. things you were grateful for for that day, if you maintain that practice, you literally, in your future days, give your subconscious mind an activity to be doing all day. And I had never thought mm -hmm. about like yeah. hacking my subconscious like that. Like, yeah. okay, if, if, you know, for three weeks, I've been writing down my gratitudes every night. Now, mm -hmm. without even knowing it, my brain is like, okay, let's remember that. Let's remember that because mm -hmm. Wes is going to ask us tonight what we were grateful <laughs> for. Like Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. It's yeah. like you prime you prime your brain to think that it should have that like that's so I hadn't thought about it from that like perspective. I also I've heard that um psychologists have found that it's not the number of things but the depth mm. to which you write about those things that you're grateful for. So like writing ah. out a really detailed thing on one aspect or two aspects of your life that you're really grateful for that's cool is um more you know it and again also true neurologically it creates more like salience more like strength in that one thing and you can attach a lot more like meaning to it yeah so again it's like it's just about being mindful not like going and writing down that you're grateful for like three of your body parts you know right yeah that's so cool because I think the clicking when you see something that makes you happy is like almost a more striking example of like training your brain where it's mm -hmm. like. And it's, yeah, sometimes, especially with 
mental health. Like we feel like we're at the mercy of our brains and we don't, we don't have to be. And in fact, without knowing it, a lot of us have been training ourselves to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. We're honing yeah, in and- on the things we don't like. I'm thinking about yeah. how disappointed I am that I didn't go jog this morning, even though I said I was going to yesterday. Uh-huh. I like, cannot stress like, to you enough how like the parts of your very basic brain that are responsible for, um, for like your, how much of your brain that's also res- involved in your sense of self and your emotion mm-hmm. are responsible for, um, for pattern recognition. I mean, this is why we say that your brain is like a computer because your hippocampus and your amygdala in particular, which are, you know, two areas that a lot of, you know, emotionally salient salient information goes to and memory for the hippocampus. Um, a lot of these cells functions um, as, as groups, you know, in those areas of the brain, <laughs> a lot of um, their job is to do with recognizing is this what's the way to describe this taking an information from the environment and comparing it to your expectations and saying, is this similar to things that I've experienced in the past? Like kind of flipping through that file folder in your brain Mm -hmm. of all your experiences and saying, is this in line with my expectations? And, you know, I think that, I don't know. I just find that so interesting. And I think like the way that you create expectations for things can absolutely manifest the results. Like I think, again, going back to, you know, like the self-criticism, it's, if you tell yourself things about yourself, they're going to become true, you know? And I think it's also Mm. like, so true about telling yourself that you are abundant and that you will like have things to offer, you know, like affirming yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Wes, I'd be talking your ear off. Dude, this is so awesome. Do you want to shut the hell up for a little bit? Do you want to do some meditation? (laughs) I would love to. Yeah. Let's shut the fuck up. Um, so let me think i am certified to teach mindfulness meditation but it's a pretty like physically modeled practice Mm -hmm. but what i can do is do a guided loving kindness practice um practice a la sharon salzberg love it awesome okay so yeah this is actually a perfect example of one of these practices where uh where you can really start to cultivate mindfulness and put it into action so this, um, I, this I will say Sharon real Salzburg. quick. So listeners, oh, yep. if you want to join us, find somewhere to sit down or lie down. Not if you're driving. Yes, true. Okay. Yes, sit if you can, um, cross-legged on the floor, if you can, just making sure that your hips, like your butt is higher than your knees. Maybe sit on a little pillow. Uh, if that doesn't work, a chair is absolutely fine. Just make sure that you, um, you know, kind of pick your back up from the back and, sit up with us (laughs) okay so this is a uh, loving kindness practice it's a referred to as i think metta in sanskrit or maitri i think in pali and it translates to loving kindness and it's this this exercise of willing i think manifesting is might be a good term for it um but really calling it this is one of those meditation um modalities that really uses your thinking so you're actively manifesting mm. and, you know, thinking about good things, good health, um, safety, security, love, whatever it is, really fill in the blank and um, wishing these things for yourself and for others and multiple different kinds of other in your life. And um, 
in this way, we, again, are kind of priming our brains to wish well upon others as well as ourselves. So I hope this all makes sense. I blew through the, uh, through the description. I just think it's such a cool practice, but um, what we're gonna do now that we're uh, seated here is we're going to start with ourselves as this practice always does. So if you can sit with me with your hands on your knees or on your thighs as we sit, you can keep your eyes open or um, go ahead and shut them down. I like to for this practice as it's a pretty like actively involved thinking sort of one. And as we settle into our space here, become aware of our body and where our breath is resting. Not manipulating it, but just observing where it is. And when we feel settled, we start with the self in this practice. This is the first individual that we are offering these things to. Um, the offerings that I like to use that are most commonly um, taught in Sharon Salzberg's practices, just gonna give her a plug, um, are four things. And they say, may you be safe. May you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease. So I'll say them with you again, just in case we don't, uh, we don't remember them. But in this practice, we go through these sequentially and will ourselves, may you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. And may you live with ease. thinking these things, these well wishes, and giving them space to land. You can do this by imagining these qualities in your life, um, what it looks like to be healthy, happy, and live with ease. So we'll do this for just a minute. Thinking may you be safe, may you be healthy, May you be happy and may you live with ease. And when you're ready, return your conscious or your attention rather to the breath once again. Let that practice dissolve into the empty space again before we bring our offering to the next individual. So our next offering is for the benefactor. This is somebody who it's easy to feel positively about. This might be a mentor, a leader, a guide, somebody that you feel warmth towards. And again, thinking of this person, bringing their consciousness in their form to mind. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy and may you live with ease. And feel free to, um, to swap out your offerings. 
based on whatever's resonating with you. Things you're trying to cultivate or really embody for other people. May you be mindful. May you experience love in all its forms, whatever you want. And when we come back here, we can, again, let this benefactor dissolve. And next, bring an offering to the neutral person. So this is somebody that we know of, but might not necessarily think twice about on a day-to-day -day basis. So maybe a mailman, somebody you had a small talk with. Here we're bringing specifically a feeling of warmth and positive regard for somebody that we might not know. And just continue breathing and thinking through all of these. Letting them take as much time as they take. And remember friends, we wanna be able to expand on these practices. Of course, this is a bit of a, um, of a quick run through, but this practice is like an accordion. You can stretch it out as long as you want to. In the interest of time, we are going to next bring an offering to our friend. So this is more specifically somebody who is a friend in your life that you know who, I guess again, very easy to feel positive regard for. And bring this person to mind. Imagine them maybe sitting in front of you, imagining what it looks like for them to be healthy, happy, safe, and living with you. Here we can connect the way in which these offerings might be observed in our day-to-day -day lives. Because our friend is somebody who is already known to us, we can really powerfully imagine this goodwill making it to them. And go ahead and let this friend of yours dissolve again. And finally, in the last part of our practice, we can offer these same things to the difficult person. And I really wish there was a better name for that, but essentially this is somebody who you might have contention with or anywhere from ill will just to kind of bad vibes. You know, it's um, in this practice, we kind of learn to stretch that muscle in our brain and ease up some of that tension and the, uh, the string, as it were. And you can start as small as you want here. I will also say that if on any day you're not ready to meditate on a difficult person, totally acceptable to skip. But bring this person to mind if you can. 
And again, being mindful of the feelings that you have, if you can. Think may you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy and may you live with ease. And just go ahead and let this person dissolve into space again. And take a minute to sit here with me and enjoy the spaciousness that's here after we've sat and calmed down our bodies so that when I ring this bell in just a minute, we can appreciate the way it reverberates and sit in our space for a little bit. And that is loving kindness practice. Thank you. Of course. I hope it translated well. I was know it was a bit of an abbreviated version, but especially if you've got an active mind, it's a beautiful little practice. Yeah, totally. That's uh it really is a different uh a different way of sitting in your mind than lots mm-hmm. of other meditations. To work those muscles yeah, yeah well thank you so much for having me on <clears throat> um you can find my tiktok at um lavender lovingness or yes. I'm also on the radio um my instagram for that is the dark star hour and that's pretty the much it dark star hour i'm gonna hit that up yes sir i'm um i'm on air tomorrow morning actually 9 a.m is i'm at 9 a.m eastern nice Cool. Well, Minto. Thank you, man. You're the best. I've you loved know that? chatting with you. You are too. Thank you so much. We should do it again. We should have a, uh, a like a off the books chat. Yeah. Agreed. Much to think about. Agreed. All right, well, I'm, I'm glad you're in my uh, social circle and yeah. I'll talk to you later. Me too. Take awesome. It easy. Thank you. Fading out, fading in. I'm always reaching for the next moment Fading out, fading in Fading into existence All my mind is on the highway I'll take to get somewhere else Tomorrow I like to look instead At the place where I am Fade in and fade out Likely I'm feeling like I'm on the downhill But you could not be proud I look at you and you've been looking down Fade in, fade out You don't always really have to count All of your achievements I've been looking for the reason To fade in and fade out this life really count Fade in, fade out I'm finally, finally, finally Finally showing up in a way that 
I used to feel some type of way I felt like life was on delay Like I was waiting for someone else to say Here you go Here's the life you've dreamed Here you go Right into my lap Here you go Yeah, right Here you go, baby Here you go Fade in and fade out I've been feeling like I want my life to really count Fade in and fade out I've been searching for a reason to look into your eyes Fade in and fade out I'm gonna make my life really count Fade in and fade out This love is overflowing, can you feel it now? Fade in and fade out my love, can you see it? It's strong, and I'm learning how. Fade in and fade out. Fade in and fade out. So, I believe in you, and I believe that we are the ones we were meant to find right here in this moment. Fade in, fade out, comes back around. Go easy on yourself. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> Wow, 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 wow.